Welcome to this week's edition of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm Andy Kirikides, joined by my wonderful co-host, Keith Glasser. Keith, how we doing? Great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, this week, we're going to we're gonna do a little Q&A session. Uh, we've got some questions from, from some listeners out there, so so shout out for the, the communication on their end. Uh, so we got four or five questions we're going to cover in this episode, and hopefully we can answer these effectively and and provide some responses that people find useful. So let's, uh, let's kick it off coach. So the first question is a popular one. It's one that a lot of parents and kids seem to want to have some, some insight into. And the question is how is the transfer portal impacting the recruitment of high school players? Uh, so let's, uh, let's tackle this one. Yeah, loaded question. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's going to be a hot topic for another 365 plus days um, because there's still some COVID years out there. Um, so you're going to have a, a more people in there. Um, you know, we've we've talked about this a lot on the podcast about you know the transfer portal and the impact and why college baseball is more competitive and such. And you know, I think it's going to the, the pendulum is going to swing back eventually. You know, I, I think a lot of people in the business are, you know, kind of hyperbolic about everyone just recruiting people out of the transfer portal, which, you know, I think you can plug some holes there, but I, I think, you know, there's still high school kids still have to be recruited, right? Like you can't, you know, I, I've had a couple of people be like, Oh, they, everyone's recruiting out of the transfer portal. Like you can't you can't just enter the transfer portal out of high school like you still have to go to college in order to get into the transfer portal so the high school kids still have to be recruited and there's only so many juco spots out there that are available they're not even considered in the portal um you know and, and there's different levels of juco as well you know there's really good juco and there's average to below average like just like there is at division one two three nai so you know i i think that there's it, it certainly impacts it, but I, you know, I don't necessarily think that it's, you know, a huge detriment. I, I still think if you have the the skill set to be able to play college baseball, you are going to be able to be recruited because you are a recruitable student athlete. Now, the the one difference might happen over the next year or two, or or maybe even further. I, you know, that's that remains to be seen. But you know, those fringe guys that used to get spots at you know, the mid majors, like those guys might now be playing division two and division three baseball, which adds to the same conversation that we've said a thousand times that college baseball is super competitive. So, you know, I, I don't think it's going to see, you know, your, your top end guys are still going to go play division one baseball. Um, you know, the guys that have the skill set, And I, I personally feel that, you know, the middle of the field is still going to be recruitable from a high school standpoint, catchers, pitchers, middle guys, center fielders, you know, I, I think college coaches might be, and this is just my personal feeling, um, you know, a little bit more apt to kind of plug from a transfer portal standpoint or a JUCO standpoint, the corners, um, you know, some bats and, and some guys that can defend a little bit on, on the corners um, with guys who, who have college experience. But I, I, by and large, I, I think if you can play defense or, or you can really hit or you're really good on the mound, you're going to find yourself getting recruited, you know, especially if you're playing in the middle of the field. So, you know, I, I think there's you're going to see some, you know, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to see a huge downturn in high school recruitment. You know, there you might see a 
a, a little bit, but nothing to where I'm like, it, it's, it's a huge factor that's going to factor into what everyone is doing from a recruiting standpoint. High school guys are still going to get recruited in college baseball. It's just, it's the lifeblood of the sport. Yeah, I think you hit, you hit on a good point. I think it's going to affect the fringe, you guys. Um, you know, those, those right-handed pitchers who are 84 to 87 that have some projectability, like if you don't feel really good about that kid or, you know, he's more of a walk-on type or a low scholarship guy, like some of the Division One schools might be a little bit hesitant to go on that kid because they know they can go into the portal and get somebody who's already proven. So I think some of the fringy guys, it's it's going to affect them. But to your point, the the lifeblood of programs is still going to be high schools. And, of course, there's going to be outliers, right? Like we've seen some some stuff on Twitter about, you know, having 28 transfers come in. And, like, you're going to have programs that are going to run their program that way. And that's fine. Like, from a coach's perspective, like, I think it's important to understand it as a recruit and as a parent that these coaches need to win games. And if they have a mechanism to go get a kid who's more ready to help them play, uh, or I should say more ready to play right away and help them win games, like the coach is going to go do that. But I don't think that the majority of schools are still going to be very active in identifying high school players that they think have a chance to help them. Um, I don't think that that's going to change. You might see the numbers go down a touch, like instead of bringing in 10 or 11 high school kids in a recruiting class, it might be seven or eight and you leave a couple scholarships open for the portal um you know maybe you go a little bit heavier into the transfer portal if you lose some underclassmen to the draft or some guys leave the program um it's it's out there but i think if you're smart and you do a little bit of homework and you have some people telling you the right things and giving you good information that you can it's pretty easy to identify programs that are going to be super heavy in the portal. Um, and if that's something of concern, then you avoid those programs. Like it's not hard to identify the programs that are really active in the portal. And that's a big piece of what they do. And you just need to be cognizant of the fact that it's out there and it's real, but I, I hate the, I hate the connotation that it's a bad thing. Cause I don't, I think that that's a lazy way to look at it. Like when we've talked about this, it's 17 and 18 year olds don't always make perfect decisions and things change. Um, you know, you could get injured or you could get there and just realize like, listen, I'm not going to play. And I want to go somewhere where I have a chance to play. Like, I think this idea that everybody who en enters into the portal is jumping ship because they've quit on stuff. I think that's, a lazy way to look at it. And I think each kid's individual journey in this is different and you kind of have to respect that. And I think it's a good thing that kids have an opportunity to maybe right or wrong. Um, now, with that being said, if you're a high school kid listening to this and you're looking at like, I'll just commit and then I'll go into the portal if it works out, like you're probably viewing it through the wrong lens. Like you need to work. You know, freshmen don't typically, you know, most freshmen aren't going to start every single day when they get to campus like those kids are still the outlier in terms of how this all works in college baseball and that goes for every single level um but yeah it's it's going to affect kids i think it's raised the floor big time like i think division three baseball is going to shoot up in terms of the amount of talent we've seen it in recent years like you're getting kids who are walking on campus 87 88 89 
like that's a normal thing at the division three level. And I think that's a hard thing for people to wrap their head around how good that, that level of baseball is. And I think the transfer portal has impacted that because you get the kids who went to the SEC or an ACC and camp aren't going to end up playing there and they go to a mid-major. So now the mid-major schools are passing on some kids that they would usually take. And those kids are ending up at division two and division three schools. So I think it's just going to lift it up and it's, you know, it's important to understand that it's out there and it's real, but, you know, this this take that coaches only recruit the transfer portal, I think is, I mean, I think it's false. I think it's still going to be an important piece of the puzzle, but it's definitely going to have an impact. Um, but there's ways to combat it and there's a, a thoughtful way to go about it in terms of being able to identify a school that's a good fit for you. Not for you personally, Keith, or, you know, but the, the, the general you, the, the universal you. Yeah. The, um, you know, I, I think the, you hit on something where there, there are programs out there that are, are going to do a, a lot of recruiting in the transfer portal. And I think that, you know, especially in the, the climate that is recruiting right now, it's a fair question if you are being recruited to ask, you know, how many how many players are you going to have on the roster in the fall? Like, you know, I, I, that you should be okay answering, asking that question. And if there's programs that are, you know, doing a lot of recruiting in the out of the portal, like they're they should be honest with, hey, we're bringing in a lot of guys, and there could be a multitude of different reasons. It could be a staff change. It could be, you know, they got gutted by the draft or you know, whatever, it, whatever it might be, you know, and they might say like, Hey, yeah, we're, you know, we're looking to bring in 40, you know, we're gonna have 45 guys next fall. And we're offering you a, a chance to try out. And, and I think that, you know, working through that stuff and, and trying to make the most informed decision, you know, I, if you're working with somebody or you're, you have your coaches, or, you know, if it's just you and your parents going through this, like, those are fair questions to ask. And if you are working with someone and your or your coaches, and they, they're, they talk to staff like it's a fair question for them to ask too. Like they should know that if you're going to a place where there's going to be 50 guys on the roster in the fall, 10 of those players are getting cut. Like, you know, and there's, there's a little around it too. Like there might be some guys if it's 44 where, you know, three or four of those guys are going to be redshirted because they're hurt and stuff like that. Like it's a little different, but if you start creeping in the high forties and fifties, you know, I, there, there's a big difference between, you know, 42, 43, 44 guys in the fall in 49 50 51 you know and, and you should know that because you have to know going in especially if you're not offered a scholarship and it's just a walk-on tryout you know for the fall that where you get the whole fall you have to be better than you know let's say there's 51 guys you got to be better than 11 or 12 guys just to make the roster you know so like those are things that you need to know going into this as well you know and you can't necessarily like, this is what this is right now in college baseball and everyone can complain about it and you can hit the boards and you can tweet about it and you can complain and we can light up all the programs that do this to shine a light like a lot of i'm not going to say everybody a lot of college baseball is doing this so until rules change it's going to continue to happen you can tweet about it you can put teams on programs on blast it doesn't matter they're going to continue to do it so ask the question and be informed before you go there because they'll tell you like, yeah, we're, we're looking to bring in a lot of guys because, you know, we're returning 10 guys. So we're bringing in a ton and the transfer portal is an easy way to do it for a lot of these programs because there are so many high school guys that you can go after, right? Like 
you could load up on 30 high school guys, but you're, you know, at college level, you're probably not going to be that good right away. And the transfer portal is an easy way to plug those holes and, and be competitive. You know, so you need to know that information, you know, ask the question if you're being recruited, like, hey, how many guys are on the roster in the fall? It's a fair question to ask because you're if you're being recruited by multiple schools and one school tells you there's 52 and another school tells you that it's 40, like, okay, like I have a really good chance to make the team because they're only allowed 40 and I'm more like they're only bringing in 40. They bring in 53. You know, and it's it's a lot of programs that do this. It's not just the one offs you see on social media. Like it, it's not, and you, you should ask those questions and know that stuff because this is how it is right now. And unfortunately, there are programs that do it, but you have to know that if you're getting a walk on spot or if you're given the whole fall to try out, you have to know that like you have to be better than 12, 13, 14 guys just to make the roster. That's not even playing time. That's not even burn in the spring. That's making the roster. You know, so like, it, you know, I, I see some of these things and people get mad about it and it's like, it's kind of on you. Like you, you should have known that going in. And if you didn't, it's kind of on you. Like it, those, those are things that you should know before you make this decision to go to that school. So you know, I, I'm not. I, I, I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge proponent of doing it. I get why coaches do it. I coached this game for 16 years. I understand why. And again, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I, I get why they do it. But you have to know if you're being recruited that that's going on. And if you don't know, and then you complain on the back end that you know there was 54 guys and I got cut and this like. It's kind of on you, man. Like you, you should have known that going in before you made that decision. Because if that was the only, like, if that that's likely not the only school recruiting you, you probably could have found a better fit somewhere else. And you know, I, I'm not putting all the onus on the kid or the family, but like the we talk about all the time, the people you surround yourself with, you have to know that that is a possibility going in. And if that does end up happening, like you can't come on the back end and complain about it. Like you knew it going in. So yeah. the other thing that doesn't get talked about enough is that people just make these sweeping statements on social media about the transfer portal. Like these coaches just don't care about any of their players. It's like, it's, that's not how coaches don't make this stuff lightly. Like they don't make these decisions lightly. Like, but the fact of the matter is, is you have to make decisions and it's really that simple. And like at a certain point, players and like student athletes who are listening to this, like you're not in high school anymore. And People don't do favors. Like if you want to make a roster, if you go as a walk-on or you go as a kid who gets a fall, you need to be undeniable. Like you need to put yourself in a situation where, where coaches are sitting down, whether they have 42 guys on campus and they need to cut two or they've got 55 guys on campus and they need to, and they need to cut 15. It's on you to be one of the 40 guys. Right. And you control that. And you control the effort you show up with. And, and a lot of times when you're making back end of the roster decisions, it's not always about how good the kid is. A lot of times it's about how good of a kid the kid is. Because let's be honest, like even when you get to 40, dude, not everybody's playing. Period. If you've got 22 arms and 18 position players, there's 12 dudes that will probably throw innings, and there's 13 guys who will get at bats in any kind of volume that is significant. And 
So once, even if you make the roster, like you still, like if, if you're going to be the 40th guy on the back end of the roster, sometimes it's not how much can you, can you do to impact the program on the game. Sometimes it's how much can you in the pack impact the program from a personal perspective, from a character perspective. Do you show up every day? Are you a good teammate? Do you do all the stuff that you're supposed to do? Are you a pain in the ass to the coach? Like, you know, that's what I hate that you see people calling out programs and, you know, I get it. They're trying to stick up for their kids, but like, you know, especially when it comes from people who have been involved in this game for a long time, like you should know better period. Like you should know better. You should know what this entails. And the other thing too, and I think we've mentioned this a couple of times, people act like this is the first time kids got cut. Right. Well, the only I, reason you hear about it is because of social media, but 15 years ago before Twitter and Instagram were popular, the same stuff was happening, but kids didn't have an out back then. Correct. And I, I think the other thing too, and this is the, my last two points on this, but the, it's like anything else. You get one side of the story, right? Because you can put the the program on blast and do whatever you want to do. But like, they're not going to get on the, not going to say everyone, but the vast majority of them are not going to get on social media and blast, you know, shoot back at it because then, you know, it's just, it's not worth their time, energy or effort because what's done is done, you know? So it's, you can do it all you want, but I just, it's, it's, it's just, trying to validate whatever it is that you're feeling in the moment. Um, there was a famous guy we played for who used to say, you know, when emotion walks in, reason walks out. And I think that is applicable in that instance. But the the last point I'll make on it is that I, I don't necessarily know either with the transfer portal, um, you know, how many schools at the division one level specifically, because the roster limit is capped at 40, like not every single program is going to have the, the, the funds and everything to carry 40 guys. You know, so I, I don't like there's another reason why I don't necessarily know if, you know, they might still dip in a little bit. But, I, you know, I don't necessarily know how many people are like, you know, some of your mid-majors, like they might not be able to afford 40 or 40 is their max and they can't do any more. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't see so, uh, uh, this being a, an issue at the at, you know, everywhere in Division One. I, I think, it you know, the programs that can afford it and, and can do that stuff, it's, you know, that's where we're talking about this. And, I, I you know, I just. I still think that the the lifeblood of this game is going to be high school kids. Agreed. Well said, coach. All right, question number two. We won't be as salty about this one. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we could talk about the portal for a long time because there's there's a lot to it, but uh, it'll take us down a couple rabbit holes. It'll it'll get us off track, but. The next question we seem to, this seems to pop up when we're talking to parents or um, and stuff that's come up on on social media here is around the timing of exposure and like when should you when should you spend money to get in front of coaches and w- when does that start for kids and I think like any other question um, there's some nuance to this as well because you need to line up your talent level with what coaches are evaluating at that point and the cost, right? Like for me, this conversation always starts with where are you from a physical perspective relative to your class and how college coaches are recruiting that class, right? Like if you're a 2026 right now and you have aspirations of playing college baseball and you're a right-handed pitcher who throws 75, 
you probably don't need to be going out and spending a bunch of money to try to get exposure or to get your numbers up. Like if you go to a PBR event or a perfect game event and you top out at 75, like you didn't help yourself at all. And the money that you, that you spend to go to camps and you go to showcases, it can be better spent from a development perspective, period. And I, I don't, for me, that's really caught and dry. Like you gotta, you gotta have an honest evaluation of where you are. And it, instead of spending $500 to go to the showcase with 50 coaches as a 2026 or a 2027, you really got to look yourself in the mirror and go, well, am I recruitable right now? And if you are, then yeah, you might be able to justify spending that money. But if you're not, spend money on development, spend money on a strength coach, spend money on a pitching coach, like use that money for something else. Um, and then, you know, as your, as your timeline gets closer and closer to when you're recruitable is when you need to think about getting in front of coaches. And that's, I think, probably for me, the most fundamental part about the timing of the exposure pieces. Don't rush. Don't rush to get recruited because you need to be recruitable before you get recruited. And all of that comes relative to your talent level and the timing of which schools are recruiting players. Like if you're 2027 20, right now, even if you're the best kid in the country, one, if you're the best kid in the country, like who cares? You're fine. Like just keep doing what you're doing. People will know about you when you when it's time. But if you're 27 and you're just chomping at the bit to go get evaluated, like you don't need to. You just need to continue on your course of development. You need to focus on let's be a good high school player first before you worry about being a college prospect. So I know that sometimes that's a tough conversation because parents and kids think, well, if I'm not out there, then I can't get recruited. And it's like, well, if you're not recruitable, you're not going to get recruited anyway. So you're kind of just you're throwing money at a problem that money isn't going to solve that problem right now. No, I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, you know, I, I think if you're, you're going to take it a step further, like, you know, if you're 27, like, you know, maybe one during the, the season and then, you know, try to focus on a couple of schools that you're interested in that are having camps in the fall to hit up, um, you know, 26, maybe, you know, a, a handful more, three, four, and then same thing, you know, try to get in front of the coaches it is that you want to be recruited by. Um, you know, I, I think that there's so many events out there that you, you can you can go down a rabbit hole pretty quickly of all these events you want to go to and, you know, become a frequent flyer. And, you know, it's if all the coaches are there, like and that, those are the schools you're trying to get recruited by and you have the, the, the socioeconomic means to do it, then, you know, let it rip. But I, I think for the vast majority of people out there, you're going to have, um, you know, a, a lot more you want to have a lot more of a targeted kind of approach. To, to the schools it is that you're you're trying to get recruited by but you know if you're younger i, I think the 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 money is bet well better spent on development strength conditioning things like that because you can see huge jumps from from kids between freshman and sophomore year between sophomore and junior year like you, you can make huge jumps and if you're doing more from a development and a strength and conditioning standpoint while also playing in there like that's i think one piece that we talk like can sometimes get lost when we talk development like you develop playing too. Like you want to be playing while also focusing on development in the off season and then um, strength and conditioning and such like that. You can see huge jumps in your game where you can really start to become recruitable and what it is that you're, you know, what your goals and aspirations are, um, you know, but it, it's, you know, I, for me, it's always been, you know, you want to try to get in front of the schools that you, you want to be seen by, 
you know, you can spend a lot of money and go to school, go to camps and clinics and, and showcases and stuff. And there's not a lot of people there or schools that aren't even, you know, recruiting you are at. So, you know, I, and, you know, and I, I do feel that the only, the only slight pushback I would say is like, if you're going to an event as a younger kid to get your metrics up, like I would make sure that it's, it's something where like, it's a substantial jump, right? Like, you went to a showcase as a freshman and you were 72 to 74 and now you're 80 to 81. Like, sure. If you want to go do that and you're, you know, you're 82, 83, like, yeah, go do that because it'll hit your profile. Coaches can see it. They can see the development, like they can see the progress a little bit there, you know, but if you're, you know, if you went to a showcase and you're 74, 76 and you're now you're 77, 79, like it's not really going to move the needle a whole hell of a lot. So, you know, I, I would say like if, if there's something in there where there's a substantial jump, whether it's going to be your 60 time or your arm velocity or your, um, you know, pitching velo or your whatever it might be. If there's a substantial jump and you want to do something to kind of increase your metrics somewhere like, you know, sure, that's it's not a huge deal. But I wouldn't do it if it was like right, I ran a 7-1 last year and now I'm a 7-0. Like I want to get it better. Like that's not going to move the needle a whole hell of a lot. So you know, now if you were a seven, one, and now you're a six, seven, like that's going to move the needle a little bit, like, sure. Um, you know, but that's the, the, the only slight pushback I would say on the metrics piece. But I, again, I, it, the caveat is like, it's gotta be a substantial increase to where it's going to actually move the needle to where you can be recruitable or you might, you know, kind of step up the ladder a little bit. Yeah. The only thing I'll add to that is it's a lot easier to make these kind of decisions. If you have somebody in your corner who can give you good information, right? Mm -hmm. Especially around the timing piece. Like if you have somebody who can look you in the face and say, Hey, it's not time for you to go do this. That's way more valuable than somebody telling you what you want to hear and going to a showcase and not being able to put together a performance that's going to, that's, that's going to move the needle at all. And um, I think timing's important. And I think having a clear understanding of where you fit in the whole grand scheme of things is it helps you make a lot of, a, a lot better decisions when it comes to this stuff. I think that takes us into the next question pretty cleanly, which is, uh, and I know we have some thoughts on this is, what are the best events for, for exposure? Um, and kind of where I'll lead with this is that I think being targeted in your recruiting process allows you to have a better experience from an exposure perspective. Like I'm, I know you are too, like I'm a huge proponent of the on-campus camps uh, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but if you have somebody who's able to give you good information on where you might fit in the grand scheme of things and they understand what a program might be looking for in your particular class and you can do some really targeted exposure, one, it's usually cheaper. Um, and, and two, you just get a much more personal experience. You get to meet with coaches. Um, you get a chance to be on their campus. You get a chance to feel out how they actually coach and and how they react to certain situations how they communicate with players and you know a lot of times you're on the field with guys that are comparable from a player's perspective that those coaches are looking at so you get a good feel of kind of where you fit in the grand scheme of things so specifically early on in the process i think it's really important to be thoughtful about where you go and when you go and i think the on-campus camps are a great way to do it um you know for for 
from my perspective, I think that's that's usually where you start. Instead of spending a thousand dollars to go to an event with fifty or seventy coaches early on, I think you're better spent spending 125 bucks to go to four or five different schools that you think could be a really good fit because you've got good information on where they stand from a recruiting process. And you know, if you get later in the process and like you're 2025 and you know you're one of those guys who's not 100% sure where you fit and you want to put your eggs in a basket like yeah the 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 head first and the show balls and the best in the US is like I think that they have a very important place in the recruiting process but you need to understand where you sit and make sure that those schools that are there are the ones that you're looking at um if you're going to spend that kind of money to go get a showcase so that's that's kind of my spiel on uh, on the the best chance for exposure and I would usually default to to the on-campus stuff, I, I think that's where your your money's best spent. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. You know, I I think that if you're looking for a metrics type thing, like a PBR is is probably good for you. Um, a best in the U.S. or a, even a perfect game. I haven't been to a perfect game event in years. Not saying anything negative about it. Just it. I don't even know if they. I don't even know where they are anymore. Um, you know, but I, I think that there's, you know, like you can track some metrics there and <clears throat> coaches will always, you know, when they Google you, you'll pop up in perfect game or PBR and they can kind of see what you've done and, and where you've been from that standpoint. So, you know, it, it's not the worst idea if you're, you know, looking to do something a little bit different and maybe have a broad range of, of schools you're looking to get in front of and, and have an online presence there. Um you know, but I think to to start like finding some some college camps of, of programs you're interested in. You know, we've talked about this before too. Like, there's usually going to be a handful of other coaches that are at those events too. Um, you know, I, I I don't know if there's going to be. You know, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's fifteen. Um, it honestly depends on the school. It depends on the program. It depends on what they're what they're doing. Um, you know, so it's. But it's worth asking, you know, if you're going to a camp, like, hey, like, what other schools are going to be there? You know, and you you might get five, six, seven eyes um, of different programs on you as well, which which can give you a little bit more feedback too. Um, you know, but I think the the smaller numbers and, and finding some some showcases where it's you know it's not 100 and you know 50 kids or 320 kids, like you know, some smaller numbers where where coaches can really bear down and and be able to watch and, and see what it is that you're doing. Um, you know, and then as you kind of progress and get older and, you know, then you can kind of step into the, the realm of the, the bigger type showcases where there's a lot more kids and there's, you know, 50, 60, 70 coaches that are there to watch, um, because they're, you know, you're being recruited by them. So getting in front of them is, is kind of paramount, but, you know, I, I think on the same hand, like most of those events, those schools run their own camps. Like you can spend a lot less money and go to their own camp, um, and be seen by quite a few of those coaches. So, you know, I, I think it depends on your socioeconomic background and then, you know, really where, where it is that you're being recruited and then what you're trying to get out of it. Well said. Next question on the list. Uh, this is, this is kind of, I think for me, this is kind of a two-parter, but how much of a role do standard metrics like your 60 exit velocity arm speed, arms velocity, uh, pop time. How much of a role do those standard metrics play in identification as well as the evaluation? Uh, 
And the reason I kind of do this as a two part is that I think it's important to understand that they play a role in identification, but they're a very small part of the evaluation because your one shot bullpen where you had 15 pitches and hit 89 is a great way to get on a coach's radar, but they still need to see you pitch. They still need to see you compete. They still need to see you operate in a game setting. They need to find out, is that 89 just an anomaly where, you know, you can do it in the first inning, but you can't hold velocity or do you pitch at 84, 85? Um, same thing with exit velocity. Like it's great. Like if a kid has a hundred mile an hour exit velocity, that's a great place to start. You know, he's got some bat speed, you know, he's got the ability to get the barrel going, you know, he has the ability to impact the baseball and, and hit the baseball hard. But as a coach, I still need to find out if you can actually hit. I still need to find out if you can manage in a bat. Do you have the ability to handle velocity? Can you recognize spin? Do you hit, do you manage the strike zone? Can you do the other pieces of the offensive game that are really important? Can you run the bases? Um, can you play the small ball game? Like, do you have enough feel for the barrel where you can move runners? Like, you got to get a lot more of the evaluation than just beyond those metrics. So my stance on this would be it never hurts to have really good metrics, um, but you have to understand that just because you have a certain number posted on your profile doesn't mean that you're good enough to play anywhere, right? Like you still have to be able to do things and there's other pieces of the evaluation process that coaches are going to weigh much more heavily than how hard did you hit a baseball when nobody was trying to get you out? Or how hard did you throw a baseball in a 15-pitch bullpen? Um, it's a lot a lot of it, a lot deeper dive than that. And yeah, it's a good place to start. But there's there's no coach in the world that we've talked to that tells you that they're recruiting a guy solely off of what they did in in a in a controlled environment in a workout. No, I, I mean I'm going to echo what you say, but you know, it's, it's the old adage of there's a lot of five o'clock hitters. And for those of you that don't know, that comes from, you know, old time baseball players uh, of guys who could really, really show up and hit unbelievable BP and you put them in a game and they can't hit, you know, you took BP at five, they were unbelievable. You play at seven, they couldn't hit. Um, you know, so like it, it's, I, I think being able to flash some metric numbers and, and do some things from a, a showcase metric standpoint, kind of, Get your gets eyes on you, um, you know. But at the end of the day, you still got to be able to play the game. You know, if you're a pitcher, you still got to be able to flood the zone with strikes. Um, you got to be able to get swings and misses. You got to be able to get outs. Um, you got to be able to hold runners. You got to be able to control the running game. You have to be able to field your position. You know, if you're a position guy, you, you know you got to be able to run the bases. You have to have a, a pretty high baseball IQ and, and understand where you need to be depending on you know what type of position you are. Um, you know, if you're a catcher, like, yeah, your pop time is great. And, you know, I've said my piece on this and you can find a bunch of podcasts that, that we've, that we've released here where I, you know, I don't, I, 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 it's the only thing we can measure metrically in a game, but if you're a catcher, like you have to actually catch the baseball. I mean, it's, it's the most important piece of being a catcher. You have to be able to block the baseball. You know, you, you could be a one eight thrower all day long, you know, and there's some out there, but if you can't catch it and you can't block it, I can't put you back there. You know, it's one of the most important positions defensively on the field. You know, the pitchers have to be able to have confidence in you. They have to know that in, you know, one, two, oh, two counts, if they want to spike a breaking ball in the, in the dirt, that they can and you're going to stop it. 
And, you know, coaches need to know that if that happens, there's runners on, you're going to smother that ball and we're not going to allow it free 90. You know, so I, I think that, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than just what your metrics are. And, and we've talked about this before as well. Like there's other people that don't necessarily flash unbelievable numbers from a metric standpoint. And then you watch them play the game and they play the game hard. They play it the right way. They're always in the right position. They make all the plays and, you know, they play a lot faster and a lot better than what, uh, you know, a standard metric would tell you. So, you know, I you can take BP all you want, but BP, you know, game baseball is not a 45 mile an hour fastball from 35 feet right down the middle of the plate or, you know, a little in or a little out to just, you know, kind of groove your swing and make you feel good. You know, we got guys that are throwing upper 80s, low, nine, low 90s, mid 90s, 100 with movement, you know, snapdragon sliders in the 80s. Like hitting is tough and you have to be able to do it in game to be able to be recruited. So, you know, the metrics piece is a, is a great piece to kind of set the floor, but at the end of the day, you still got to be able to play this game, you know, and, and that's what's going to get you recruited is your ability to play the game. Conversely, you know, the, the other part that's going to get you recruited is what type of teammate you are, what type of kid you are, you know, what, you know, how tough are you? How do you handle adversity? You know, this game is, has so much adversity and you're going to face it throughout your entire career. How do you handle that stuff? You know, so it, it's, it's a lot of other things that go into it. And I, I, you know, I think that the baseball beat, the skill set standpoint is, is one of the easiest things for college coaches to be able to identify. The harder part is figuring out whether or not the kid's going to fit in your program, if you're going to be able to coach him and does he possess those things? Like, you know, you're going to go pitch it Friday night in the ACC or the SEC. Like you got to have some thick skin. If you're going to take the ball and tow the rubber on Friday night in the SEC, like there's going to be, you go, you roll into Alex box stadium part two, like there's going to be 11, 12,000 people screaming. Like you have to be able to block that out, you know? So it, it's, there's a lot more that goes into it. And, and you know, I, I think that the character and the, the, the personal evaluation is, you know, also plays a huge role in this, but you know, from a straight, for the question's sake, for a straight metric standpoint, like it, it gets your foot in the door, how you play the game and, and what you do otherwise is, is what gets you recruited. Yeah. I'm glad you hit on that piece at the end because it's, it's a part that gets lost in the sauce sometimes that everybody just thinks, well, if I'm super talented, like I'll get recruited. Like, yeah, you'll get recruited, but you may not get offers. Like you may not get opportunities if you don't have some of the character traits that coaches are looking for and the, the toughness component, the the ability to compete, the ability to handle adversity. Like those are separators when you get to the next level. And there's not a coach that we've talked to that doesn't, weigh that extremely heavily because one thing that they'll tell you is there's no shortage of kids who are good enough from a pure talent perspective like high school baseball and the 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 youth baseball circuit is more talented than it's ever been Uh, you know when you're talking about size and speed and arm speed and bat speed like there's just a ton of kids out there that have traits that translate to college baseball but they're still ultimately like you need you need good people you need competitive kids. You need kids who are coachable. Um, you need kids who are going to be committed to what the process will be like when you get on campus. Like, are you prepared to handle the day in the life of a college baseball player? And, you know, that's not for everybody. Um, you know, I've had some talks with some some parents and families and you walk them through what it's like to be a college baseball player. And they're like, well, shoot, we didn't know it was like that. Like, we thought it was just high school baseball with better players it's like no that's it's a real thing (laughs) it's uh there's a ton of commitment that comes along with it and 
you know, coaches are trying to find guys who who do that kind of stuff. And then the gameplay stuff that goes beyond just the pure metrics is something that a lot of coaches have have voiced to us that they need kids who can do stuff that helps them win games. And, you know, running fast and throwing hard and hitting the ball hard is part of it. But can you play situational baseball? Can you play defense is probably the biggest thing that doesn't get talked about is like you have to be able to defend. And understanding that this process and the evaluation process as a whole is it incorporates a ton of information and it incorporates a, a ton of different data points that coaches are collecting to ultimately make their decisions. So uh, you know, don't don't think that just because you threw hard in a bullpen and your numbers look good on PBR that that makes you a recruitable player. There's there's more there to it and the quicker you recognize that, the easier it is for you to prepare for those moments and understand what coaches are really trying to get at. All right, final question for the Q and A. Um, outreach is a popular topic, so th this question is: What's the best way to reach out to coaches? When should you start doing it, and what should be included? And for me, this starts again: self awareness, right? Like. If you're a 2026 and you're not a, a surefire division one guy and you're probably trending more to the division three level, yeah, you can start reaching out to coaches, but you're probably better suited just focusing on developing, focusing on competing, knowing that the guys who are going to recruit you probably aren't that concerned with the 2026 class right now. Uh, so I think some self-awareness of who you reach out to and when you reach out to is really important because you're just not going to get any return on your investment. You know, you could sit down and send 100 emails, but if you send 100 emails to schools that you have no no chance to play at, you're not going to get any responses. You're not going to get any love, um, especially if the timing's wrong, too. Um, so having some self-awareness in terms of what you do and when you do it from an outreach perspective, I think, gives you a chance to, uh, to get a little bit of a return on the time that you put in to pull that stuff together. So that's where I'll start that one off. I think you should call and text their cell phone. Coaches love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, everybody. Um, no, I, you know, I, I think that you're you're dead on. Like it, it, it's, I don't necessarily think that. You know, I, I'll push back a little bit. I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to kind of, you know, send a couple updates throughout the course of the season and, you know, send your schedule. And especially if, you know, you're a high school kid and you're, you're looking to get recruited by a couple local schools, you know, if you want to send them to some of the local schools that, you know, you're, you're interested in your high school schedule, cause they're likely going to get out and see some games. Like they can get some eyes on you and, you know, maybe just see where you're at. Um, and same thing with the summer, you know, you get your summer schedule, you know, you feel free to send it out because you might end up at events that, that these coaches are at. And if, you know, you're, you're in their database, you know, you fill out the questionnaire and show a little bit of interest. You'll, you'll get some stuff from them too. Um, and you know, if you're at some events and they, they, they kind of looked through the guys who have contacted them to take some notes on them, like they might, you know, so, but I, I think the important thing that you hit on is, you know, if you're a, especially if you're, you're likely going to be a division three player, like those guys are just wrapping up their 24 class. Like they're going to get into the 25 class this spring and this summer. The 26th class, they'll start to get into towards the end of the summer of guys that they they've identified that might be able to fit into their program and you know see if they can get into camp and and do some stuff like that and then follow up through the following year. So, you know, I think it's understanding you know to your point where you fit in and then where you're you know who you're reaching out to, you know, and I, I think sometimes you know people get a little. Um, 
misconstrued on on what's going on when coaches aren't necessarily responding in timely fashions and they're only getting camp invites like keep in mind that's the only thing they can do until august going august 1st going into your junior year and the other part is they're playing right now like everybody's fired up with practice you know that's their first priority right now so you know sometimes it's going to take them a little bit longer to get back to some emails that they you know otherwise during the the fall and the summer they they might be a little bit more timely with it so you know if you know it's just understanding where you fit in who you want to reach out to and then you know just you know sending some general updates and you know again filling out their questionnaire to kind of get into their database that shares a little bit of interest and and kind of go from there but you know i i think you're 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 dead on about you know what it is and and the timing and and where you fit in and understanding you know where who you should be emailing um from that standpoint and you know i I know I joked about it, but the, the other part of it is like coaches emails are the best way because coaches can respond to them at their like when they can, right? Like if you try to call their office phone, there's a good chance, especially if you're a Northeast school right now, like they're not in their office for a good portion of the day, if at all, because they might be running groups. They might have practice in the morning and then doing other stuff in the afternoon. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Um, you know, so a, a calling their office phone isn't necessarily the best way to to try to get in touch with people. Like email is the best because as it goes, they'll they'll start to respond to you. Yeah, I mean, as far as information that you want to include in those emails, the first tip I'd give is it doesn't need to be an essay. You don't need to include the reasoning behind why you want to be a college baseball player. Like we, you know, as a coach, when you get that email, like I'm assuming that you're reaching out because you want to play college baseball. Mm-hmm. For me, what I'd like to see, and this is what coaches have echoed to us, is I need to know who you are. I need to know where you're from, high school travel ball stuff. I need to, I need to know who I can reach out to if I've got some interest. I want to know your GPA. Um, if I'm an academic school and you can intru- you can include your transcript, that's a great place to start. Uh, need to know some basic metrics, and they need to be valid. Uh, do not be hyperbolic with your your metrics because you will get exposed. Like. Don't tell a coach that you're 86 to 88 if you're not 86 to 88. Like, there's a little bit of wiggle room. You know, if, if you tell me you're 86 to 88 and you show up and you're 84 to 86 and you top out at 87, like, okay. Like, yeah, VLO goes up and down for young kids all the time. But if you tell me you're 86 to 88 and I show up and you're 80 to 82, like, yeah, I'm never coming back. And that goes for, like, high school and travel ball coaches. When you're communicating with college coaches, do not be hyperbolic. Like, don't tell a coach something that isn't true because you're going to get exposed, and then you're going to you're going to ruin the trust that you may have with that coach. Um, so make sure that the, the metrics are accurate, and then you got to have some video, right? It doesn't need to be some crazy production level uh, video, but you know, two, three, four minutes, some swings, ideally open side view, and then from behind catcher, from an offensive perspective, from a pitcher's perspective. I like the open side and then making sure you get some view that shows ball flight. So either behind the plate or from the second base, um, you know, from behind the pitcher, second, you know, kind of the second base view, if you will. And if you can include metrics in those videos, like if you've got track man data or you've got velocity data, that's valid. Um, that's something that I would encourage guys to include specifically if you have track man reports and you're a pitcher, uh, if I've got video of you and I've got your TrackMan data, I can make a pretty good evaluation of whether it's worth me going to watch you play. So keep it short, keep it sweet. Make sure that they know who you are, where you're from, 
basic metrics, include video, include academic information, and make sure there's a few people in there that the coach can reach out to so that they have any questions, especially if you're an underclassman right now, you're 26. Like if you're going to reach out to somebody, there has to be there has to be somebody that that coach can reach out to to get additional information because they can't reach out or talk to you at all. So it's important to make sure that that's a part of the email that you send. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. I, you know, I think that it's, you know, the only thing I guess I will add is, you know, when you if you're sending video and such, like try not to make it a 10 minute long video. Um, and then the easiest way, obviously, is to send a link. Um, you know, most coaches aren't going to download all of the the video to their computer and watch it and then save it. Um, you know, and the other is like, there's a lot of people that are emailing those programs as well. So they don't necessarily have the time to sit down and watch 15, 10 minute videos throughout the course of the day, you know, get as much in there as you can in a, a short burst so that they can see what they, what they need to see. I think the only other thing I would add to this is that, you know, we all know social media has become a much more prominent, starting to play a much more prominent role in the recruiting process. So I think you can go and follow coaches that you're interested in. I'm still torn on the whole DM thing. Um, you need to know what year you are. Like if you're 25 and you're going to DM a coach, like they can respond. I don't know if I would necessarily expect them to respond, but if you're 26, you can't do it. So don't do it. But showing showing some interest by following coaches on Twitter is a good way to is a good way to let them know. Like it's kind of like poking them in the shoulder, like, hey coach, I'm here. I'm interested in your school. Um, so that's certainly something you can do. And then as far as the social social media profile goes, uh, the, this is important, I think, is in your profile, make sure that you have all your pertinent information. Um, you know, who you are, where you're from who you play for some basic metrics. And if you can put a link to a YouTube video or you can put a link to a video in your profile, that's a nice little one-stop shop and just understand that that's part of your athletic resume. So make sure that what you're tweeting is relevant to baseball. Like you don't want that. You don't want coaches to go on there and cross you off the list because you, you were posting some stupid stuff that, that could turn a coach off. So try to keep it to baseball. Um, and you know, make sure that coaches have access to information that's relevant to them in the recruiting process right there in your profile. Thank you for listening this week. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and smash that like button for us. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at EMD Baseball. If you want to find out what me and Keith do to help families and players navigate the recruiting process, Go ahead and check us out on emdbaseball.com. Take a few minutes to check out our new online academy. I promise you'll get some good information out of that. Thanks again for listening. Check in with you next week.